Mighty Waters podcast, helping you unlock the power of your people. If decision-making wasn't hard enough, did you know that research has shown every day we're influenced by over 100 unconscious biases in our decision-making? Psychology, behavioural economics and neuroscience all point towards the fact that we unconsciously get attached to relationships or ideas, are prone to overconfidence or serving others. Perhaps we even use shortcuts when making decisions, or base our decisions only on previous experience. So decision-making is complex. Does that mean it's impossible to get better at decision-making? My name's Marie Toyne, and welcome to this series of the Mighty Waters podcast, in which I address this conundrum. Specifically, I unpack the hidden risk framework developed by Mark and Anna Withers in their book Risky Business, where they've helpfully embodied these biases into eight memorable characters. In this episode, I invite Anna Withers to come in for a chat and explain to us how the hidden risk framework can be applied in the context of inclusion and diversity. If you haven't already listened to episode one, I would highly recommend to listen to that first. Um, Mark and Anna give a fantastic overview of the framework. Uh, If you have already listened to it, fantastic. And let's get going. Here's Anna. Hi, Anna. Oh, hi, Marie. So, Anna, diversity and inclusion, a hot topic for every organisation. What's your experience been of it in the workplace? Well, in my working life, I have seen huge changes in the area of diversity and inclusion. And they have been positive changes. You see, in the mid-80s, I started my career in the City of London And being a woman in investment banking was very rare indeed. And I vividly remember those large analyst meetings where myself and a female colleague were the only women in a sea of hundreds of pinstriped white male bankers. And, you know, I don't think I ever met a plaque banker during my 10-year stint in the City of London. And this is quite remarkable, given that the minority ethnic groups represented at that time in the UK was 5% of the working population. So in your opinion, things have moved on? Things are a lot different now. And I'm glad to say getting on the ladder is a lot easier. And there's an acknowledgement within the business community that diversity inclusion is good for business. Diversity of voice brings benefits, and these have been extremely well documented, and the business case for diversity and inclusion has been made. Most senior business leaders are aware of of that, and diversity of voice needs to be happening at the right level for it to have an impact on the bottom line. And that is where the itch is, really, and that's where the real battle has to be fought going forward. Right, can you just explain that a bit further? Well, at the top, there's the ever-present, what they call the class cliff cliff phenomenon, where people who are different have more difficult career hurdles and more precarious progression trajectories. Evidence for this abound um, amongst women and ethnic minority groups uh, who are less likely to be promoted than white men and if you look at the outcomes for for instance in uk boardrooms i think it's about 17 percent of women are at director level in the uk and that's 17 17 yes 
and that's up 10% from 2003. So pretty poor, really, and there's no room for complacency. Absolutely. So I'm going to be blunt. What's unconscious bias got to do with this? Well, unconscious bias is the culprit. And that is actually widely known within the business community. In the last two decades, uh, much work has been done to combat bias. uh, And that's particularly in the States, where almost all large companies have uh, put their employees through diversity training. Yet the outcome is sadly less than satisfactory. As it turns out, diversity programs turn out to be detrimental for diversity. Right, well, what makes you say that? Well, there's, for example, this Harvard organisational sociology professor called Frank Dobbin, and he has really looked at why such programmes have failed. And he looked through thousands of data points, and um, he found that for white women and black uh, black men and women in management positions, diversity training actually makes things worse. Uh, It's quite staggering, actually. Companies that introduced diversity training would actually employ more women and black men today if they had never had diversity training at all. And, um, And what's even more staggering and even, I think, even sadder is that the fact that the training antagonizes those people it's intended to educate. Wow, that's really surprising. Um, so this training that you mentioned and that Dobbin looks at, what, what does that involve? Well, typically it involves things like implicit association tests. Uh, so you can find them on the internet uh, and you might do one of those and you find out that, surprise, surprise, you are prejudiced against X, Y and Z people. Many interpret it the key learning points as having to walk on eggshells around minorities and women, and um, they have to choose their words carefully so as not to offend. Others have thought that maybe it means that white men are villains, um, and still others have assumed that they would lose their jobs to minorities and women, while others concluded that women and minorities were simply oversensitive. So training done badly can also damage cordial relationships between colleagues. Um, Women and minorities often leave training sessions thinking that their co-workers must be even more biased than they actually are. And um, in a more troubling development, it turns out that telling people about other biases can actually heighten their own. So it's the evidence is just simply damning. Yet, in the US, companies continue to spend heavily on diversity training. I think it was estimated something like $8 billion last year. And recently, The Economist has call, called um, the whole thing around diversity and inclusion, has called it the diversity fatigue. Wow. So, if this is correct, I mean, what do you recommend companies do? Because there has to be some kind of... Um, the companies do need to bring to the surface some of the biases that do come uh, into play. So what, what would you recommend? Well, absolutely. Well, um, companies are searching for more effective, less infuriating alternatives. 
So they're looking for alternatives which are not narrow in their focus and where there's no um, claim. So how do we do this? Well, at Mighty Waters, I'm glad to say we have a unique approach to diversity and inclusion. Instead of dealing with a couple of unsavory biases, which are all associated with stereotyping, we focus actually on all the biases which lead to suboptimal decision making. And we position diversity and inclusion firmly in the area of decision making because that is exactly what discrimination is. It's suboptimal decision making. And the point is that decisions around hiring and promotion or pay or performance are like any other business decisions. And we know from research that over 100 unconscious biases play a role when we are making decisions. Right, so you're shifting the focus to decision making. Yes, precisely. And unconscious bias is not limited. It is not specific to discrimination. But unconscious bias is the root cause of all suboptimal decision making. It is a crucial business skill to recognize and identify our unconscious biases in ourselves and others in order to make better decisions overall. Okay, so any useful tips for on how employers can improve their training? Well, first of all, I, as I said er, er, earlier, I think employers need to start understanding unconscious bias is not just about stereotyping. It's not a standalone problem. Unconscious bias is all about good decision making. And if you tackle the issue of unconscious bias, you improve decision making across the board. And eradicating hidden bias is primarily all about better decision making, which in turn leads to better business. And then secondly, employees have to realize that a one-off training intervention is only ever a tick box exercise. And what we need to recognize is that a culture change program is what is required. Really the purpose of that culture change program is aimed at improving decision making across the board. And we should start with the senior leadership team within an organization. Because when senior leaders get it, they in turn become ambassadors for better decision making in their organization. And finally, it's important to encourage employees to call out bias when they see it, even if it's their own boss. So you need a language to make it possible to speak about unconscious bias. And really, this is why Mighty Waters um, have carefully constructed a language which is completely free of blame and just fo focuses on the issue at hand. Okay, so tell me more about this language. How... How do you do that? <laughs> what is it? Well, what we have done is, is used a methodology called externalization. And this methodology is widely used in family therapy to avoid blame. It enables people to talk about the difficult issues without finger pointing. Okay, so give us an example. Well... Let's take the example of stereotyping. Well, we have clustered the biases which are associated with stereotyping and we have externalized them in the character of the writer. So it is the writer in us who writes scripts about people and situations. Yet, unfortunately, often those scripts do not reflect reality. 
And I just want to give you sort of an imagined example, really. Um, so imagine Joe Ploggs walks through the door for the interview. He's extremely overweight. And um, so the writer in the people on the interview panel might be writing a negative story for Joe because of the negative associations people have with obesity. So the writer might be writing a story that Joe, Joe is lazy or ill-disciplined and not at all suitable for work with um, client contact. So how can people on the interview panel challenge that in each other? Well, they can ask the question, what script is the writer in us writing with regards to Joe Blocks? And is there another narrative we could be telling, you see? They can also be asking, can we actively look for new material, for a new script, for... Might we want to focus on Joe Plock's interpersonal skills or his track record in sales? Or maybe we should want to explore connections he has into an area of business we have not tapped yet. So basically what the writer does, it, the writer puts the spotlight light firmly on the script rather than the person in question and the problem is not the person in question or even the people who are making these judgments however erroneous but the problem is the writer and that there's a possible discrepancy between the script and reality and that's what we can explore by reference to the writer and as you know, Murray, the writer is only one of eight characters. So we have the writer, the knight, the gambler, the butler, the judge, the captain, the archivist, and the prisoner. And each of these embody different unconscious biases. And we call it our hidden frisk framework. And um, understanding how those different characters work in ourselves and in others help us to recognise and mitigate uh, suboptimal decision-making. Do you have any other examples where some of these other characters come into play? Well, let's take the captain. Uh, the captain embodies a set of biases to which anchoring and um, the confirmation bias um, belong. So um, the captain in us has already made up the decision and is just looking for evidence to confirm it and um, the captain steers us stubbornly in a set direction. So let's take another example, let's take a promotion decision um, and their favourite candidates. Um, it's ever so important that um, it becomes transparent who these favourite characters are. And it is difficult to talk about favour, isn't it? It is much easier to talk about the captain steering us in a particular direction. Once we use the captain, we then can ask questions like, what are the alternative destinations? Are there other candidates which, have not, which we haven't looked at? It's a terribly important discussion to be had and you need to talk about it. So really, dialogue is essential. Absolutely crucial. Because first of all, we are more likely to recognise bias in others than in ourselves. Uh, and we need to be able to point it out to others. And dialogue creates momentum for change. 
Research has shown that we can wipe out hidden biases if we believe that everybody around us is trying hard to, find, uh, to fight against those biases. And we do then the same. And you might call it peer pressure or you might call it pack mentality. Whatever it is, it works. Anna, thank you. This has given me a real flavour of how to use uh, the hidden risk framework within diversity and inclusion and if you know like me and many others want to make a, a change within the organization around diversity and inclusion what would you say well if you want to make a difference which lasts don't see diversity and inclusion as a training issue it's not it's a culture change issue and you need to have a dialogue within the organization about rec- recognizing hidden biases in yourself and in other people and you need to do that as and when it occurs so you need to have a no blame language to talk about the bias and you also need to have an environment where people are able to challenge and that is why it's a culture change not just a training initiative and you need to position diversity and inclusion in terms of better decision making Tackling unconscious bias is all about good decision-making and if you tackle the issue of unconscious bias, you improve decision-making across the board, which in turn, of course, leads to better business. Thank you, Anna. That was fascinating and thank you for your time. And if the Hidden Risk Framework is of interest, then you can go onto our website, mightywaters.co.uk and under resources and then book, you can download a free infographic with the framework. You can listen to the other podcast episodes and you can even buy the Risky Business book. Um, The link to the Amazon page is also on the website. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much. Carry on listening to this series by just clicking on the next episode. Enjoy!